Hey guys, welcome to the Audity Potty Podcast. I'm your host, Tana. On our last episode, we talked about a string of grisly murders that occurred between the 600 and 700 block of Ursulines Avenue in New Orleans. On the surface, these murders were seemingly unconnected. However, they shared some strange and undeniable similarities. All were crimes of passion, all of the victims were brutally dismembered, and in each case, the perpetrator claimed that an evil presence had told them to commit the crime. Today I'm going to tell you about the most famous of all the buildings on Arsalan's Avenue, and the place that some believe to be the origin of the evil influence on that particular street, the Arsalan Convent. This is part two of the Demons of Arsalan's Avenue. The Ursuline Convent, located at the corner of 1100 Charters and the 500 block of Ursulines, holds the honor of being the oldest building in Louisiana and in the Mississippi Valley. It's been part of New Orleans since New Orleans was even a thing. It's been around, seen some stuff, and it's at the center of one of the darkest stories in New Orleans history. In 1682, that's 339 years ago for y'all doing the math, King Louis XIV of France claimed a parcel of land way down south in the New World for his country. He named this territory Louisiana after himself, of course. The location for this new colony was not ideal. It was essentially a steamy, humid swamp infested with snakes, gators, mosquitoes, and frequently battered with hurricanes and heat waves and disease. However, the nearby proximity to the Mississippi River made it very attractive for port trade. Still, it was a challenge to find men who were willing to live in such harsh conditions. So King Louis came up with a solution. He sent convicted French criminals to this new land to work off their sentences. If they were successful, they could return to France as freed men. Or they could stay in Louisiana as freed men. Either way, they were going to get their freedom. So there were a lot of criminals that did take up King Louis on this deal. And so, these new settlers laid out a street grid on the land nearest to the mouth of the Mississippi. This grid became known as the Vucure, or the Old Square, or, as it's most famously known today, the French Quarter. In 1718, the Louisiana governor, Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne de Bienville, officially founded the city of La Nouvelle Orleans, or New Orleans. And it's such a pretty name, and it sounds so fancy, but it still was a city founded by and run by criminals. So New Orleans rocked on like that for a long while. But in 1726, when France had a new king, this one, Louis XV, I mean, they weren't super creative with their names back then. They were mostly Louis. Anyway, this King Louis decided that it was time for New Orleans to clean up its act. He dispatched an envoy of 14 nuns from the Roman Catholic sect of the Order of St. Ursula, also known as the Ursulines, on a five-month-long journey to New Orleans. Now, the king wanted the nuns to establish, among other things, a hospital for the poor and a school for the wealthy in the city. You know, to add a little humanity and culture to the town. The nuns arrived in the French Quarter at the height of summer in July of 1727. If you've ever experienced the heat that is Louisiana in the summer without AC or mosquito spray in the middle of a swamp, you can imagine that the nuns probably thought they died on the boat trip and landed in the ninth circle of hell. But these ladies were troopers. They really were. And they were committed to the cause that King Louis had set before them. They got in there, they dug in, and they started trying to make New Orleans a better city. 
and they accomplished their humanitarian work from temporary quarters for about nine years while awaiting their convent to be built. But unfortunately, the first building was built with some unprotected timbers that proved to be really not a good idea in the heat and humidity of New Orleans. It rotted pretty fast. So they had to set forth building a new convent, and that one was not actually completed till 1751. So the Ursulines had to wait 26 years for their final convent to be completed, where it still stands today at the corner of Charters and Ursulines Avenue. The Ursulines Academy in New Orleans is the oldest operating Catholic school in the United States. So this building is old, old, old. The Ursulines came to New Orleans with the best of intentions. They did some wonderful work. They established the schools, the hospitals, some orphanages, and even began the first school of music in New Orleans. They were very dedicated to bringing culture, education, and refinement to the city. And this was not an easy task. Again, New Orleans had been established by the worst of the worst. Pirates, murderers, thieves, rapists, all who were exiled from France and promised immunity upon return if they successfully established the French colony in America. And if they failed, oh well, they were still free men in the new colony. In fact, men outnumbered women five to one. And there arose a true crisis situation with the natives and enslaved women routinely being raped and brutalized by these men. So, Governor Bienville thought that the clear solution to this problem was to get these men good wives, because nothing reforms rapist murderers like good women, right? God. By the time the Ursulines arrived, Governor Bienville had been writing to all the King Louis, past and present, in desperation over the shortage of women for years and years and years. And while he described the men of Louisiana as, quote, scum, those are his words, He fully expected that France and the most pious, educated, and high-bred virgins to wed these men. Early on, the king of France tried to accommodate this, and he put in place some very stringent processes to verify that only the best of the best were sent to repopulate Louisiana with aristocratic French blood. But again, like I said, New Orleans was essentially run by violent criminals, so you can imagine how these women were treated when they arrived, which really pissed the king off. I mean, it pisses me off, too. Why are these guys shocked that men who were described as scum would turn out to be scum, right? Word got out fast, and aristocratic families who were willing to sacrifice their daughters for the country dried up real quick fast. So the king started sending women that he felt were better suited to the men in New Orleans. In 1721, King Louis got a kind of a genius idea. He started shipping the women directly from French prisons, just like he had done the men. So women thieves, prostitutes, and criminals, they seem like a better match, no? You'd think so, but no, Bienville was pissed. And I find it funny that he claimed that these women actually contributed to the immortality in New Orleans, but whatever. Bienville kept writing and crying about it, and finally in 1728, the good ladies of the Ursuline convent volunteered to assist. They agreed to receive the women that the king sent over from France and to protect and care for them and educate them inside the walls of the Ursuline convent until each one was contracted into a mutually agreeable marriage. And so the deal was set into motion. After a six-month-long voyage at sea, 88 young women disembarked in the port of New Orleans. As they made their way through the city, onlookers noticed two distinct things about the women. One, they were unnaturally pale so pale that there were reports that their skin reddened and blistered on the short walk to the convent. Also of note was the luggage that these women carried. 
The women were carrying these trunks or these large chests that the French called cassettes. So the women became known as the filet à la cassette or the casket girls. Once the casket girls were settled into their new home at the convent, the nuns took these trunks and stored them on the third floor of the building, which was then shut and sealed. Even after the women left the convent one by one for marriage, their belongings mysteriously remained behind. Despite the best efforts of the Ursulines, things did not go as planned for the casket girls. Once the girls were out on their own, they were often mistreated or placed into undesirable marriages. In some cases, some of the women were even forced into prostitution after they were abandoned by their husbands and they had no way to support themselves. Perhaps worst of all, the casket girls earned a reputation, as it was claimed that soon after they arrived in the city, there was a distinct uptick in violent crime. Specifically, violent, violent, unexplained murders, and some even claim infant mortality spike. So you can see where this is headed. The rumors quickly led to claims that the casket girls were vampires, and their cassettes, which were their trunks that carried all their worldly possessions, were actually their daytime resting places. To this day, some believe that the Ursuline convent is the origin of vampirism in the United States. A few things about this one. One, the girls were probably unnaturally pale because they'd been in the belly of a ship for six months. Women were not allowed on deck or even out in the sun because it was considered inappropriate and it was dangerous. And honestly, my skin would likely blister if I walked out to check the mail right now. So some of us just be pale like that. Second, the cassettes or the caskets were literally their suitcases. Would you set off on a six-month journey with no luggage? Nah. And third, we've already established that New Orleans was an extremely dangerous place back then. How could anyone determine what the true cause in an uptick in crime was in a city that was literally established by violent criminals? All of the weirdness seems easily explainable. And yet, there's this. When the King of France learned that once again, Bienville had allowed France's women to be abused, he demanded that the remaining women be returned to France at once. But when the nuns went to the third floor to retrieve the girls' trunks, they were found to be empty. Nor could they find the remaining girls. No girls, no belongings. Everything seemed to have disappeared overnight, despite the room having been sealed. Now, I'm not Catholic, so I don't know why the Ursuline sisters thought this, but apparently they suspected demonic activity was to blame. So they sealed the third floor room again, and this time shuttered the windows and doors with 800 nails that were blessed by the Pope himself. Again, I'm not Catholic, but I have visited the Vatican, and I can tell you that it doesn't seem real easy to get the Pope to randomly bless stuff. Or maybe it was easier back then. I don't know. But in any case, the third floor remains sealed to this day, even though the Ursulines claim that there's nothing up there but archives. But if there's really nothing up there but archives, why not until the third floor and dispel all the mystery. No one knows why, but people really want to find out. And here's where things get really dark. In 1978, two reporters tried to solve the mystery of the third floor. They'd already been removed once from the property for snooping around and supposedly attempting to break into the third floor attic. But they weren't going to give up, so they decided to camp outside of the convent on the steps of St. Mary's Church, which is right next to it. They had a camera set up, and according to sources, the video caught the third floor shutters, the ones that are nailed closed, open and shut right before the film fades to black. The next morning, their bodies were found on the steps of St. Mary's Church. Their throats had been torn open to the point of near decapitation, 
and they were drained of blood. These murders and a string of similar murders that reportedly took place in 1984 have made the Ursuline convent famous not for the good deeds of its nuns, but for the fear of what's hiding in that attic. So this is where I tie everything back to episode one. The theme of marriage and mistreatment, violent dismemberment, bodies in trunks, or in one case, a sausage casing, those are all hard to overlook. You've got the casket girls in 1728, Hans Mueller in the mid-1800s, Frank Mumfrey or Leon Joseph Monfray in 1918, Henry Moiti in 1927, and James Henry Morgan in 2002, all committing heinous murders on Arslan's Avenue, just a block away from the convent. All of these men had similar surnames, and they brutalized the women they were supposed to love and protect. And these are just the cases we know about. Supposedly, those nails that were blessed by the Pope is the only thing keeping whatever is in the attic, and some believe it's demons, at bay. Or are they? Could it be that the evil, while trapped, is still somehow seeping down the city block that is named for the most benevolent and well-meaning women in the city? Could it be that the Ursulines, who, in their bid to clean up a city full of sin, accidentally unleashed upon it a demonic force that is only held back by the power of the Pope's blessed nails, a force that is still somehow alive and able to influence those closest to it, those who live near its prison on Ursulines Avenue? I sure hope not. But after knowing the details of the four murders that we talked about in episode one, and then knowing what happened in the convent and to the casket girls, there is kind of a convincing argument for some kind of force that's in the attic. Is it true? Who knows? You be the judge. But I will leave you with one final tale. And this is a personal story that happened to me about 15 years ago. It was a summer afternoon and my daughter and I were strolling in the quarter. We'd just turned off of Ursulines on a charters when the bells tolled 3 p.m. And though it was a hot, sunshiny day, a cloud suddenly passed overhead and the sky darkened. I looked up, half expecting one of those brief pop-up storms that Noah is famous for to be on the horizon. But instead, my eyes fell on the third floor of the Ursuline convent, and the attic shutters were open. My daughter saw it too, and she screamed, Mom, the attic's open! It's not supposed to be open! We'd both gone on the haunted history tours, and we knew the story by heart. The attic shutters had been nailed closed for centuries to keep whatever the casket girls had brought with them from France safely inside. So as we're standing there with our mouths hanging open, just baffled at this, we hear this banshee-like scream that made the hair on the back of my neck spike. My daughter and I instinctively whirled about like rabbits being circled by wolves. But there was no one anywhere, and the street was dead quiet, save for the echo of that scream. And then I saw it. I actually, I almost stepped in it. It was a pool of fresh, black-red blood. So like the CSI agents we thought we were at the time, we inspected the blood. It was fresh and not congealed, and there were no drag or spatter marks to indicate that someone had fallen and gotten up or were dragged or carried away. It was simply a neat and tidy circle, as though someone had poured it from a spout just minutes before he came upon it. Naturally, we were scared, and even though it was daylight, there was no one around to see if anything happened to us, and the shutters on the convent were open for God's sake. And then my daughter tugged on my arm and pointed at the convent again. I looked up and saw that the shutters, the ones that we both swore had been inexplicably opened seconds earlier, were now securely nailed shut again. 
We'd seen enough. We hightailed it out of there, but my daughter still talks about it to this day. How did those shutters open? Where had the fresh blood come from? This was long before I knew about the murders on Ursulines or the dark spirits who the guilty blamed for them. But if I'd known then what I know now, I would not have trekked down there with my kid, day or night. Hey, you! Yeah, you! Thanks for listening! Your support means so much. It's everything. If you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram at Oddity Podity Podcast. And if you want to be the most helpfulest, please go leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's something weird or creepy or strange that you'd like me to investigate and report back to you on, drop me an email at oddityPodity at gmail.com. That's O-D-D-I-T-Y-P-O-D-D-I-T-Y at gmail.com. See y'all next time.